All right. Well, uh, yeah, this has been quite a start to things. In the spirit of virtual learning done right, go figure we have technical difficulties as we're going live. So happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we're talking about learning tech with a slightly different band. Today is all about learning and collaboration, which is a big and relevant topic right now. Um, so to help me tackle this one, I'm joined by my friends, Bob Coolhan and Josh Pryor. They're from Business Improv, and we're going to be breaking down some of our best practices by sharing our career of wins. And as highlighted today, sometimes the failures that ultimately end up happening when you do this kind of stuff. So if you're joining us going live, give us a thumbs up, share the post, tag someone in uh, who'd benefit from the conversation. And uh, while we're getting started, while you're at it, also comment and let us know where you're joining us live from. So I'm in the ever beautiful Waukesha, Wisconsin. How about you, Bob and Josh? I am in the burbs of New York, Montclair, New Jersey. Okay. And I am in Newport Beach, California. All right. All right. So complete opposite. You know what? If you look at that, we're representing the entire country. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've got we've got both three of the four time zones in the Midwest. Yeah, not too oh, yeah. bad. Not too bad. All right. So before we get into it, right? Before we get into the conversation, the question that we had set up was uh, you know, so if you had one piece of technology from your youth, piece of technology from your youth that you could not have lived without that today your kids would be like, I don't even know what that is. What is this, a fossil? Um, so, so Josh, you were you were first to jump to it, so I will yeah. start with you. All right. Uh, so we're in the process of moving right now. In the last couple of weekends, we've been pulling stuff out of boxes, and my wife found like an old box of mine that's from my bachelor days. It's always moved with me, but I've never gone through. And I went through it and found my original click wheel iPod from like 20 years ago, iPod, which was a game changer when it came out. And it was 20 gigabytes. And my son is huge in it. My 11 year old son is huge into tech. So I, sh I was like, I got to show you something. And I showed it to him. And it was like movie-esque how disappointing the reaction was. Really? I'm just being like, what is that? I was like, it's an iPod. He's like, what? What? And I started explaining, like, I'm like, a, you click, you do the click wheel, and this is how you get to your music. And we start talking about it. And it was just like, like you said, a fossil. It was just like, cool. That's really super exciting, dad. And I was like, yeah, well, but it's so 20 gigabytes. And he's like, that's like the size of an SD card now. And I'm like, okay. You know, this is a, this so is a solid try. You don't want it. And, and, my, and then my four example is like, this replaced having to carry around a disc player. And he's like, what is that? He's like, okay, all right. You didn't have one of those in the box. Nope. Okay. Nope. Okay. How about you, Bob? What do you got? All right. I'm going to go further old school than that. And this was actually something that um, I really enjoyed. I played with an awful lot, probably more than any uh, young adult should. Uh, it's an answering machine. I used oh, to like have like wow. the clever outgoing messages and would, yes. would essentially like dub in other things and like fill in the button and act like a swear word. You do this and I'll, boop, you know, and then people would <laughs> okay. leave okay. the machine. If I put that out now, uh, I don't, they probably try to see how far they could throw it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> You know, it's funny, the answering machine, wow, I wouldn't have gone there. I actually wouldn't have thought of that as like 
a toy, but you know what? That actually was a piece. I, I don't even know if you could get one of those anymore. That's probably, they're probably maybe a radio check going an answering machine. <laughs> what is that? I remember uh -huh. you had to replace the tapes, all that good stuff. You know, the tapes would get full and you mm -hmm. had the cheesy. Oh, wow. That takes me back. All right. So mine, mine is um, a little bit different. Uh, so I was, have always been kind of a computer geek. And so for me, I had a friend who was also a computer geek. And the challenge was we were always trying to, you know, share software and things like that and all that good stuff. But the problem was back then there were not, you didn't have a thumb drive that you could throw a whole piece of software on because five megabytes was big stuff. We didn't have those kind of storage devices. So I actually had software that would split up all the files so I could put in my three and a half inch, you know, floppy disk. <laughs> and thankfully, if I had 10, three and a half inch floppy disks, we could quickly, quickly transfer these, these large 10 megabyte <laughs> computer <laughs> games across, across the neighborhood to one another. So yeah, I think uh, I, I saw something the other day, somebody was joking that their kid found a three and a half inch floppy and thought that they had 3d printed a save icon. I'm like, no, that actually <laughs> at one point was, was a thing. So yeah. cool. Well, all right. So we are, we are talking today about virtual learning um, and how to do it well. And I think this is, Definitely not think. I know this is a very relevant topic right now with everything that's going on. But before we get into it, talk talk a little bit about because I think people who who know me know I've been doing virtual stuff for for quite a long time in this space. But share a little bit about your background um, in terms of how you've stepped into the virtual space, both from a learning standpoint, but also just I know your your whole you know organization is virtual and has been correct. Yes. So, well, we're, you know, improvisation, business improv, it's up on your feet, it's experiential learning, and we're 21 years old. Uh, it's based on site for the most part. Now, 10 years ago, the writing was on the wall to go virtual. So we started experimenting with avatars and then jumped forward to Cisco systems and those giant television that you had to go to the room and work in those and go to another room and work in those. And then about three years ago, it all started coming together as we create custom exercises. Those began to fit inside technology like Zoom and FaceTime. And then you start getting Adobe Connect and WebEx and Zoom and all these other great platforms that allow us to play within that space. And so we've always been focusing on how to communicate and collaborate with people and create teams and culture in the, the virtual space. So the last three years, that's been our big initiative, working inside this medium and helping people connect with each other and build cohesive teams with people that trust each other and will understand what it means to get each other's backs. Okay, got it. Well, so I, I got to say, you know, one of the things you hit on there that is an important topic that I, I get asked a lot, right, is when it comes to the tech. And let's just blow this myth out of the water before we get into some of the, you know, best practices, worst practices, because maybe this is actually a worst practice <laughs> is a lot of questions come up of like, well, what platform should we use when it comes to, to virtual learning? Like what, what are the platform? What's the best? What's your top two, top three or whatever. And I always get very schemish when I am asked that question, just because it's one of those like, well, it depends and it's an enabler and the tech stack itself will not determine the success of the platform. So well, I certainly have a preference for different tools that I use in different situations, right? We're, we're doing virtual collaboration right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I don't just have like a rock solid answer of, well, you need this and by purchasing this or using this tool, 
um, it'll work. But what, what's been your experience with that? Uh, our experience, I think, and Josh, I, I would love for you to jump in as well. You uh, argue with me on it? <laughs> uh, yeah, there's there's one platform that I think I is disagree. Actually, if you buy this platform, <laughs> it's the it. one that I created. <laughs> the pillow sack full of yeah. washing machine parts. <laughs> uh, the only thing that I would say, if this you could use this as a platform, is people. That's the one thing that everything is going to have in common beyond technology that we all have to connect with each other. And so that to me is is where our focus is. Um, Aside from the technology, I, you know, there's a lot of great technologies out there. And like you, we've worked with a lot of them uh, to facilitate our virtual instructor-led training programs. That said, the the big common theme between one platform and another platform is who's on it. Yeah. Right. Who's who's talking with each other? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's it's a uh, obviously different industries have different needs. So there's going to this is a relevant question for a lot of people of what should we use. And to Bob's point it's also easy for it to become just like a red herring where it's like, let's just spend all of our time and effort researching what video conferencing profile is going to be the best. When at the end of the day, if it's technology focused, it's just more ways to add confusion. Yeah. If the team's not in the right place, you know, if there's all these great, all awesome bells and whistles and no one knows what each other are doing, or you're not collaborating, it doesn't matter. You know, and that's really I think it still has to be an important part and the focus needs to be on the team and on how you're communicating in this environment before you're really focused on what are those really cool things that we can do while we're collaborating with each other. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting having, I mean, I've played with just about every tool out there and what, what I've found is a lot of the tech can do right. There's not necessarily, and I deal with this on other learning tech too, not just virtual collaboration where it's like, well, there's actually multiple platforms that probably have very similar or the same mm -hmm. capabilities. It's, it's more a choice of which one, you know, fits better into, you know, your user experience or the way you do things or what your comfort level is with a tool. Um, you know, sometimes it's a matter of, is it more work for you to try and learn a new tool versus use one you're familiar with? And I think that's where you can work through some of those things versus mm -hmm. if we, if we, again, spent half as much time on actually improving the virtual experience as we did trying to pick the right tool, I think our, I think our end users would probably be a lot more grateful for that. So. Right. Yeah. The, regardless of the technology, it's never going to make you better at something. You know, if yeah. you spend an arm and a leg on a, a excellent golf club, it might give you a leg up. But if you don't take lessons or you don't learn how to use it properly, you're it's not going to matter. Slice. Right. You're still going to slice. You're still going to have to send out dinner plates and divots. You know, it's just that's it, it's the wrong focus. Yeah. Well, so let's get into this because this is one thing that I always have a engaging discussion with people on uh, when it comes to the whole in-person versus virtual, right? This there, There's sometimes a little bit of a us versus them or a battle between the two of you know, which one's better. And, and sometimes you'll hear the, well, you just can't do this virtually. So let's talk about some of the realities because there are not necessarily no limitations, but you do have to do things differently. There are some limiting factors when you think about virtual. And I know you know you you put together this hack sheet, or we actually kind of collaborated on this hack sheet. So let's talk a little bit about that in terms of you know what are some of these big differences that we have to recognize. It's like hey, if you're moving into the virtual space, 
there are some big ones. One of the big ones being the nonverbal communication standpoint. So I know you do a lot of, of this now. Um, you know, what are, what does that mean to you when you say, Hey, there's some nonverbal stuff that you just can't read. Cause there's some that I could probably kind of healthily challenge in the way some people take that too far. Yes. Okay. So if you think about on-site communication, we have the opportunity to read nonverbal communication in a number of different ways. It could be full body or whole body. I could see even what your legs are doing, how your body's positioning. We talk a little bit more with our hands. Typically, I might be the exception as a, a virtual setting. However, in person, we have a tendency to talk more with our hands. And you can also read facial expressions in a different way than you can through technology. So you have to shift and adapt. So when you're making eye contact with somebody through this medium, you have to look at the little green dot right there. Yep. And that makes it feel like it's eye contact. However, if you're going to read nonverbal communication, your eyes have to continue to look at the person or people with whom you're communicating. So there's got to be this constant state of movement. Also, you have about this much to read. You can't read. You don't know that I'm wearing a tutu under this part down. <laughs> pantaloons. <laughs> yeah, pantaloons, spats, spats and chaps. Uh, so we don't know what's happening down there. The little shifts have to become bigger through this medium. And that also means that how we communicate has to become just a little bit different yeah. through this medium as well. And then once you start adding multiple people to the picture and the screens get smaller and smaller, then it's harder and harder to read people. So that becomes exponentially more difficult. So we have to adapt to really honor and respect this medium in the way that we're forming relationships with each other and reading nonverbal communication, subtext, you know, the intonation might have to change a little bit as well. It's just a shift in the way that we need to communicate with each other. Yeah. And I, and I think this goes back to it's a skill set. And I think this is probably one of the things that people are and you know, one of the other things we talk about in the hack sheet that is another one, right? Kind of the chemistry, the, the feeling, the general sense of, of how things are going. It can feel a little cold or sterile in the virtual space. And and again, you're, you're missing out on some of those nonverbals. I think the challenge is as as practitioners and professionals in this space, it's about learning how to work the room, learning how to work the audience and things like that in a different way. It's not that you can't do it. It's that it's it's can be more challenging. You have to be more attentive to details that maybe you just took for granted. You know, maybe right. it's like, well, I just was in the room and I just kind of knew what was going on. Um, and, and maybe now you have to pay a little bit closer attention to it. Where you can right. Say, uh, and yeah, well, I mean, whether you're a leader or you're part of a team or a, an entrepreneur, whatever it is, making the assumption that the way that you behaved or that the way what made you successful in a live setting or in person, making the assumption that you can take that and just dump it into virtual and it's going to work perfectly is incorrect. You know, it, it can if you are engaging enough and you're willing to be open to that flexibility. And at the same time, for the overwhelming majority of people, it's a huge difference going from being able to read those nonverbals, being able to, to have that interpersonal strength set or, you know, skill set that gives you a strength is challenged in the virtual setting. And it's not going to be the same, like the, all the things, all the troubleshooting you might have used in live settings are, they're not going to work the same. It's not a one-to-one, -one, you know, translation. Yeah. Well, and that gets to some of the things that we're going to dive into on some of these best practices that it's not you know, starting to go into this virtual space is not about just shifting what you were doing before 
into the new box, right? Like, well, mm -hmm. this is what I did before. Now I'm going to just plop it into to Zoom or WebEx or GoToMeeting or just I'll make sure I list off a whole bunch of these so people don't think I'm advocating for any one <laughs> of them, right? And then, then, then magically um, it, it'll be there. But before we get into that, you know, I think the other one that we talked about was the reality of, and I actually hear this a lot with virtual um, collaboration outside of learning is you do not have as much access to people outside of when the formal stuff's happening, right? And, and the water cooler conversations or things like that, going to lunch with one another and things you know, where, where there is just kind of this natural interaction that happens outside of the formal learning, which actually it's interesting to see that, you know, people, I don't think people fully realized how important that time was until this whole COVID thing hit mm -hmm. and people are moving into this. They're in back to back to back to back meetings. And before there was this natural breathing room between there that allowed you to kind of reset your brain a little bit. And now you, you, you know, you're rolling literally from one meeting right into the next and sometimes hard to even get up and, and use the bathroom, you know, yeah. with, with the way things are going. So with that one, you know, as, as you've looked at that, because this is one of the things that when it comes to all of these things that are realities, it's less of a matter of you can't do it. I mean, the one the one we didn't list that to me is just duh, is right. You can't touch and taste things quite the same as you can in person, which is probably OK for for most corporate learning events. Hugging <laughs> usually is not encouraged. Um, you know, and whether people will even shake hands after this whole crisis comes down is, is right. kind of a question mark, but are there any other ones that, you know, I know you've done a lot of work over the years, kind of transitioning some of your programs. Are there any other ones that you've said, you know, man, we, we really tried to do this and we found we had to completely rethink it. Chemistry. You, you yeah. said it before okay. that it's not that it can't be done. It can be done. And to a great degree, it's got to be fabricated. I mean, we have to make it happen in this specific medium because on site, you can feel like the laughter in the room, the energy of the room. You could feel if there's some underlying tension. I mean, if you're really attuned and you're kind of gelled in that EQ space, you can read the room and you can watch the room adjust in real time. You know who's, who's kind of connecting with each other and you know who's pulling apart from each other. At least you can feel that tension. Whereas in in the, this capacity, you we can't. We can't add that pop unless you choose to add the pop, unless you choose to bring a little extra energy, unless you choose to know how to direct it and who's paying attention, who's not paying attention and, and bring them into it. The reality though is with this chemistry, once the computer shuts or the, the phone call goes off, if we're not using this medium, you don't know exactly how the resonating impact is going to unfold. So a quick for example of that mm -hmm. is, in a meeting, if your spidey senses are going off, you're like, that. there's something going on with Josh right now. I, I don't know what it is. You could just say, hey, Josh, can I, can I go you know, walk back to your office and we'll chat a little bit and you can kind of keep it light and unpack it. In this capacity, though, you have to schedule that meeting yeah. or a surprise call could you know, encroach upon this person who's dealing with um, a five-year-old who's having a fit or mm -hmm. a significant other who needs the, the office for an important meeting. And there's only one office in the house. And who knows what's happening in each one of our entrepreneurial environments. So yeah. things have to really unfold in a different way when you're operating virtually as opposed to when you're operating on site. To your point, though, you can create chemistry. You can create energy. And it is contagious what we bring to the table. Yeah. Well, and, and what you mentioned about that, that's, um, you know, I think 
is an underlying thing that I've seen in everything virtual, whether it's learning, collaboration, whether it's, you know, working in a remote environment, that type of stuff is the intentionality behind what you have. You have to be so much more intentional about everything. So even like reading the room, right? Maybe if you were facilitating a room and everybody's right there, it just kind of naturally, you could just kind of look around and it, it came a little more natural in the virtual space. You have to be much more intentional about, you know, how am I doing this? How am I watching? How am I making sure? What am I doing to bring people back in? You know, things like that, because I can't just rely on, well, you know, I can just kind of walk a little bit closer to this person and they'll kind of, I'll bring them back in because, well, now that's not going to happen. So I think that's where you know, a lot of these challenges really do boil down to intentionality behind thinking about things, which are some of the best practices that we talk about, you know, even, even some of the, just the basics like turning on your camera is right. I, I still sometimes am absolutely flabbergasted by how frequently that practice is not just a, I mean, I don't even know, no, it shouldn't even be a best practice. It should just be like, that's what you do. Um, but it is still for a lot of people a, well, uh, that's not, that's not normally how we do it. So on this end, I'm curious, cause one of the things when it comes to the camera stuff, um, I've been doing it for so long. I mean, I used to look like a Minecraft character when I started doing this virtual stuff. Um, but it is an adjustment for people, you know, to see themselves, to see other people, you know, as you've gone into that space, I'm curious, you know, even now, how do you see participants react to it? And even your own facilitators, is it, is it just normal? Or when somebody's new to that comes to it, do you have to kind of help them work through that? I think that there's a fair amount of a learning curve that has to go into it. And, you know, it's what's funny, Christopher, is when when I think we were the three of us collectively were introduced maybe like early last year. So it's been well over a year that we've been having conversations. You very early on, you're like, I'm a video guy. So if we're going to talk, we're going to talk on video. And we we're like, cool, let's do it. And this was a, you know, a year before where we are right now. And I remember appreciating that so much because you get to you get to know somebody a lot more when you can put a face to the name. And uh, I was just telling my wife the other day that we have one of our clients who's been a legacy client for probably two years who I've worked with so much. I've never met in person. Okay. However, I've also I've also never met before. And we had a conversation last week and it was a video conversation that she proposed. And I was like, yeah, great. And on the call, it was this moment of like, We've been working together for so long. We've never physically met. Like we've never met face to face. I don't. I didn't know what you looked like. I had a, a a picture of you in my mind, but we had never actually met before. And I like this is great. It's 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 nice. And I think that to go back to your question, part of that learning curve is just under. I think a lot of it has to do with being, um, not to be too sappy, but just being kind to yourself yeah. and knowing that because a lot of people the hang up for putting video on is my setup or I have kids or, you know, X number of things. I'm, I'm wearing a t-shirt today or wh whatever it might be. It's all these things we tell ourselves that people aren't going to, uh, you know, That's it's going to, I'm not going to be accepted. I'm going to be judged. That's going to make me get in my own head. Like if I go on this zoom call, everyone's going to be wearing a tuxedo and I'm going to be in a t-shirt and I'm just really going to feel self-conscious. And I think it's having that room especially for yourself of, of just knowing that you're still bringing yourself to the table and we're all in this together. It's a very strange time, you know, all collect collectively. I think I, I posted earlier that between the three of us, we have 10 kids. 
So there's a lot of children running around in our collective household. I have households. half of them, though, by the way. You do have half of them, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I count as a kid, though. So that's true. Yeah, so we could do my wife anyway. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's like my wife called me earlier and was like, you're going to be on this thing. She's like, I'll, you know, I'll try to get the kids outside. And I'm like, that's great if you can. And if you can't, assuming they're not right here screaming at me on camera, which even then, I mean, this is we we did a session a couple weeks ago and a woman had her daughter on her lap. And like, we're not going to call that out. If anything, I was like, that's cool. I had a call with a consultant yesterday that we work with and his daughter was in the background. And it's like, that's fine. Like, this is this is the world we're in. And there has to be room for that to take place. There has to be vulnerability because you're not, you're not going to accept other people doing that unless you're just open to doing it yourself and being like, if that's what's going on, that's what's going on. You know, if it doesn't impede on what we're talking about, assuming that we're not talking about some top secret Thing that no one's allowed to listen to or you yeah. know whatever your kids can't listen to at the same time it's just there needs to be room for uh for for yourself there, there needs to be, you need to make room for yourself to yeah. just be able to do it and yeah i'll stop there no well and i think the thing that you, you're hitting on there that has just been my experience over the years is like we in this in the in the position we're in we set the tone for this and we have to lead by example so yeah. if if we're awkward and uncomfortable and if something happens and we freak out or we refuse to go on camera because you know our hair's not right or things like that and we set those excuses i mean that's what everybody else hears and then they go oh well if that's if that's the tone if that's the the way the meetings run then i i need to follow that where i mean as a as a funny example um I won't mention where, but I, I was with one organization when I first started. And I, I've, I'm always on webcam. Like if you talk to me, I'm on webcam. And uh, it was countercultural, <laughs> big time. Uh, and, and I remember when I first started doing it, like I would literally get text messages from people in the meeting telling me, you know, your camera's on, we can see you. <laughs> and, and I remember emailing back thinking, well, yeah, yeah I, I mean, that's kind of the point. Um, and, but, but the excuses kind of came, you know, well, I can't, I, I just got out of the shower or I just came out of this meeting. I didn't have my coffee, things like that. And for me, it was about really helping people understand and again, set the tone for like, that's okay. So I took it to an extreme actually in that for the first, for the first, well, actually for the next almost two months, I stopped shaving. I stopped like literally everything. I would come to meetings, you know, sweat stains from working out just intentionally so that I could almost kind of embarrass people a little bit when they would go, well, I can't, I can't come on camera and say, well, if, if I can look like this, you can't look worse than I do right now. And, and it worked, right. right? You almost kind of use humor to bring, bring it around and let people know, I think, to what you said, Josh, that you're accepted as you are. You're accepted the yeah. way you're coming right now. And that's okay. You don't need to put on a veneer to be part of this meeting. I think setting that tone makes a big difference for yeah. engagement overall. Yeah. I think you're on point with this because with the tone, there should be expectation set as yeah. well. There's got to be that point that you say, we are going to be on camera. I don't care what you're wearing. I care what you're not wearing potentially. However, what you're wearing, you know, as long as you're dressed appropriately, you're focused, you're present, you're on point, you're engaged, you're not multitasking, you know, some basic etiquette rules essentially on how we communicate with each other, then the majority of people will align because now they know what's expected of them. 
And then that setting the tone is that little extra pop as a leader, you know, where are we, what are we doing? How are we telling everybody that to Josh's point, it's okay. It's okay. If the kid comes running in, if, you know, I told my wife before this, it was, if there's something happening, unless it's a huge emergency, you handle it. Now, if there's something happening, come and get me. It's fine. There's not a meeting in the world that I can't say I need to take care of this. And the people on the other end are going to be like, no, like what? That's, this isn't the reality anymore. Right. 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 So we have to give ourselves that freedom and vulnerability to uh, lead by example, set the tone. And then as leaders, if we're in that position, we have to guide people to let them know what we expect of them as well. Yeah. Well, and you hit on the, you hit on the expectations piece, which goes back to, to me, that's another one of those webcam fundamentals that gets so often overlooked. You know, we, we just jump to the conclusion that, well, we've invited people to the web meeting. They know they're coming to learn. And for very, very, very good reasons, <laughs> a lot of people expect virtual meetings and virtual learning sessions to be an atrocity. I mean, people mm-hmm. just almost come into it with an expectation of, I'm going, my eyes are going to bleed. I, my ears are going to bleed a little bit too. And I'm just going to sit there and hopefully get some work done while this webinar is happening. And that's the expectation we have to recognize a lot of people have coming into that. And if we don't tell them otherwise, and then they show up, they're already showing up with the mindset of this is what it is. This is how it's going to be. And if you try and flip that on the fly, I mean, I'll tell you just from personal experience, people don't adapt well when they're planning to get some work done while they're doing this. And suddenly they realize, oh, I'm not going to be able to do that right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that goes back as well. I think I think you're right. I mean, from what I've heard from a lot of people is that, you know, watching a webinar is kind of like watching a Bob Ross special yeah. that just goes on for like an hour or 90 minutes. It's like, that's good. The first, you know, block of time. Then after a while, you're like, oh, yeah, pushes, pushes, yeah, paint. Paint the clouds, paint the mountains. Right. It's that intentionality that you mentioned before that set the tone. I mean, if you want this to be a little bit more dynamic than um, just a monotone you know, metronome, just going back and forth, then it's up to us to say, all right, we're going to do this in a different way. Yeah. And then other people are like, oh, okay, what are you going to do? Yep. And the thing with it that I've seen is that the first time, and this is where I think sometimes we just need to continue being a little bit relentless with it is that the first time you do it, (laughs) nobody's going to believe you, right? You're going to say, this is going to be an engaging webinar. You need to come prepared to engage and things like that. And we've, people have heard it before (laughs) and then shown up to the LinkedIn post I posted, right? Where then, oh, this is going to be engaging interactive session. And by interactive, I mean, at one point in the session, I'm going to ask a question and see if anybody responds. So naturally, you're going to set some expectations. The first time it happens, people are not going to believe it. I mean, I can think of multiple times where when we've started something, you set expectations, people still didn't come prepared for it. And I think that's that comfort with failure and being like, all right, well, you know, we didn't get everybody today, but it's the first time we did it. I think, again, going back to the acceptance piece, it's an opportunity for us to to do that. Have you ever had... Have you ever had a session just completely tank? Because people, I'm just curious if you've had one. I've had, well, okay. So early on, 20-ish years ago, there were a couple of sessions that were really hard. We've intentionally put ourselves in front of the hardest audiences that we can find over and over again. Ask them to put crosshairs on us 
yeah. from multiple angles and define the return on investment very, very clearly. So we go are very comfortable going in to hard audiences and working. The Once again, it's all about respecting the medium. So it's not to say that we haven't had challenging classes. We have. We've had challenging groups of people. You know, there are some people who are more one side of the brain versus another side of the brain. And, you know, I want to be careful not to generalize too much yet. You know, there are more analytically thinking thought-minded people than, Mm -hmm. you know, gregarious people. And so you just have to like the medium respect where they're coming from, honor where they're coming from. And ultimately to be engaged is to be engaging just like to be interested is to be interesting. So if our focus is outward and really looking at who's engaging and who's not engaging, especially in the types of uh, programs that we put together, we can pick and choose and and match and find people and, and get that type of 100% engagement, 100% participation from 100% of the people with whom we're engaging at any given time. Okay. You know, a, a couple of examples of with the virtual work that we do that come to mind is one of the things that we did learn pretty early on is that there are, there's typically in a group of like 20 or 25, there's typically going to be a couple, like one or two who just absolutely refuse to turn their webcam on. Yeah. And we could literally spend the whole session being like, hey, Jim, turn your webcam on. We know it's not on. We know you're on the session. Turn it on you know, 10 minutes of content later, be like, how, what do you think, Jim, put your webcam on and tell us. <laughs> and instead it's, it's like, again, if people, we just make the assumption. Yeah. We make the assumption that if they're not turning their webcam on, there's a reason why. Yeah. And if it, if it is something that is controllable, like I don't want my webcam on and I'm just making this choice. We can't, we can't control that. Like that is, we just have right. to, we have to focus on the people who do turn their webcam on Yeah. and the people who, and hope, that in seeing this session that eventually Jim will turn his webcam on or that next time he'll be like, I'll, I'll be ready for that. And I want to, I'll want to do it. And one funny story is last fall, you know, we have one of, one of our offerings is a, a asynchronous program that we have. That's an online learning program. And when we were piloting it last year with a pilot session in our very first session, as I was like running the tech on the back end, and Bob was running the content part of the session, yeah. I kept, and we had like parts where everyone was on camera and we had parts where we wanted people to chime in and yeah. I would go through on this, on the, the software we're using, I would go through and turn on everyone's webcam and everyone's mic <laughs> really without their knowledge. Cause it was my, like my really, you know, I'm, I'm new to this technology. We had switched technologies and I was really comfortable with the other one and we're in a new one. And I'm like, we'll do this. And all of a sudden it's like someone's at a deli and there's all these things going on in the background. I was like, well, not Okay. We're going to ask people to turn yeah. their microphones <laughs> off We're not going to force this on them. Well, what, no, it isn't even for it. was like, yeah, I'm going to go through and push the button on my end. You're up, but oh, good. That's a lot of background noise. Oh, that's a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. So, and that, but that was a learning on, on my part of it was like, you can, I've gone back and watched the video and I'm like, that is painful. And like knowing what I know now and knowing how we, we approach it now, it's like, yeah, we'll do what we can. We'll do it in our control right. in hopes that people are going to see that this is not some level of danger that they're putting themselves into. Right. You know, it's, it's a, it's a learning curve. And once you get past that first hurdle, you realize how much easier it is. It's really well, not. A and big deal. on those, on those, right. You're the things you're talking about, which are completely ring too, is the fact that not everything is going to go according to plan. I actually, yeah. pr- based on our previous conversation, I did look up the Mike Tyson quote we were joking about, right. Where you, mm-hmm. you have a plan until you get punched in the face. And, 
that's that's the reality of it. And and some people just aren't going to engage. And I I think back to my early days of virtual, how much time I wasted, you know, trying to troubleshoot the one person who could not figure out how to get their audio connected, and ever, the poor you know twenty other people sitting in there as you're going, uh, and no, click the mic. No, click the mic. No, try. No, not that mic. Okay, go I don't on. have that on mine. And you're like, why? Why am I doing this? I just destroyed the experience for everyone else versus just maybe sending a direct message to the person who couldn't do it and just say, "Hey, looks like you're having some challenges. You know, either join the session later, or you know, we'll we'll do a makeup or or get you the content at some other point." But I can't. You know, we're, we can't bring down the entire group to save the one percent that that just can't factor in sometimes that can be hard right because we're trying and that is a limitation of the tech i think that is an adjustment for people going to virtual is if you're in the classroom you can do something about it you can actually walk over and solve their problem here yeah well and actually what's interesting about that too and another kind of a learning experience for us is when we're doing virtual programs with clients in the beginning it would be our instructor who would be delivering the content and they'd also be in charge of the tech as well. So they're like, cause we put people in breakout rooms. We do, it is to your, to your question or point earlier, it's super experiential. And then, you know, it's like, I have slides, so it's really, you're going <laughs> to enjoy that. And there's a chat box too, but for us, it is, it's very like, we do, we do make people move around a lot. They're having one-on-ones with new and different people. So it keeps it fresh and that's part of our process. And, we learned pretty early on what the feedback we're getting from our instructors is it was really hard to stay focused on the content when they were also in charge of the tech. So now we have someone in the back end for every session. So we have one person running content and we have one person running tech and it works really, really well. It makes such a difference to the experience of the both the instructor and also the participants when those things just move fluidly. And you're able to just say, and now we're going to breakout and boom, everyone goes to breakout and then you come back and you're able to really move kind of seamlessly. Yeah. I remember when I first started doing breakout stuff, cause that used to be that, that, that was a new feature at one point. Now I think most people just see that as normal, but mm-hmm. at the time it was a new feature. And I remember learning some very hard lessons in the beginning you're like, all right, and we're going to do a breakout. And then you realize you've got to get everybody in the break. Yeah. <laughs> poor people are Minute. sitting there. And this goes back to everything in virtual is just exacerbated. So, you know, like in yeah. the classroom, you can kind of pivot and whatever, you know, do make some animal balloons and everybody doesn't pay attention to the fact that you're, you're kind of winging it right now. In the virtual setting, it doesn't really work that way. And you kind of just have to develop a comfort with that. But I remember the first time doing breakouts, and I, I'm sorry to anybody if you're watching and you were in my first class because I remember it was like 10 minutes of stuff. And at the time, people called in and they had a different name. So they actually had a phone number. And so people were their voice was in one breakout room and they were in another breakout room. And you're like, what just happened? So there oh is goodness. some tremendous value to if you have the luxury of having that extra person. I completely agree. Um, You know, whenever I've ramped up with my teams on, you know, how do we do virtual? Well, that is always just a, it's a, you have to have it because you need that person that can remove the barriers for the, for the facilitator to do it sometimes. And and I'm sure there are people watching that we don't have those kind of resources. We might not Mm -hmm. have to do that. Well, okay. I mean, you can, you know, then practice (laughs) and keep it simple. Keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah, 
I agree. I think sometimes you hear they, and it goes back to the tech stuff, right? There's tons of features in these new things. And so sometimes people's first virtual session, like we're going to do breakouts and we're going to have 37 different sessions and we're going to have nine different facilitators and a different facilitator in each breakout. And then we're going to come back and debrief with the whiteboard. And you're like, that's your first one. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, I, I agree with you on that one, Bob, that, you know, keeping it simple can really yeah. help if you don't, if you don't have that luxury. I think the other thing, and I'm curious how you balance this. So I'll, I'll ask you, you know, this one, we talked a little bit about how one of the challenges with the virtual piece is that a lot of times you show up to it and, you know, it's, it's death by PowerPoint. It just inevitably is death by PowerPoint. And I've got a bit of a perspective on, on how we can kind of get around that, but how have you balanced that content with experience piece? Because that is, I think sometimes this is a big problem is we over index on delivering content in the live session and, and it can really disrupt things. So how have you worked through that? Whether in any capacity, through any medium, it, the, to me, the slides are there to support what you're doing. So that's our approach. You know, we teach people how to ride a bicycle and it's this specific bicycle. And that means, you know, it's not PowerPoints that's going to teach you how to ride a bicycle or reading it in an article. Let's get on the bike and learn how to ride this specific bicycle so you can use it ultimately. So we streamline our slides. Our slides are there to support the experiential learning and hit the impact points as well. You know, if it's something that needs to go on there, it's it's kind of slide making 101. Reduce it. It shouldn't be a little a thousand words on the slide, 12 point font where everybody's like, what are you doing? Going cross-eyed reading it. It's a couple of quick bullets. And you know, I create support around that if really the content's that important. You know, send it as a pre-read. Be familiar with this ahead of time or send it in post. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna clean all this up and make it a nice neat package for you and send it after the fact for right now, though. It's this, this is a communication tool that's meant for people. Yes. And I think that's a challenge that a lot of people have that they come on and they're presenting their content over and over again. They're like, right. I'm reporting out to you. And I would question if this is the right medium for that. Yeah. That yeah, I, I, go, go, go for it, Josh. Oh, I was going to say, I had a, a colleague who used to call that PowerPoint karaoke. They're just like, you know, reading off of a slide. And it's like, no one wants to see that. And, and uh, to, to add on to what Bob was saying, and, you know, in a lot of our sessions, it's also breaking up the content in different mediums. So there's PowerPoint, and then there's times where the person sharing, it goes off. We have, we have one we'll go on grid so that we can see everybody and have that type of interaction. And then we do, you know, we are able to utilize like the chat box and things like that. And there's that type of, it's not just the slides are not just outwardly focused. Like it's just as much of a, a discussion maker as it is of just trying to regurgitate content or try to package it in some way. So that people are just being constantly fire hosed at with, with content. Cause that's for adults and for kids. I mean, it, we don't learn that way. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not the way that we learn best of just having content throw, thrown at us. It's, you know, the right packaging of content and then the usability aspect of it and how to make it tangible. So it's not just theory and how do you then use that in practice? And that's what we try to do in these sessions that we're talking about where, you know, it's introducing concepts and then putting people through experiences that help them use that and then debriefing on it and talking about why we did that. And then going back to the slide. Yeah. 
the thing with it is, is that, and sometimes this has been misinterpreted. Uh, people, people have misinterpreted this about me that, you know, I'm, I'm opposed to the classroom or that I think, you know, we shouldn't do that. And I, and I don't think that's it at all, but I will say that live delivery of content is realistically one of the most inefficient ways we can do it. Right. And I think we all know that. And it doesn't mean, right. Cause sometimes people go to the extreme and they're like, well, then don't put any content in there. And that's a true flip classroom. Are there opportunities where you can say, yeah, let's just pull it all out. Yes. I think sometimes it's a matter of finding that right balance of what is the right, you know, how do you, how do you actually do it? Well, because again, if you're, if you're going through 50 minutes of PowerPoint slides, nobody's walking out of there with anything. And the reality with it is, is that people don't process information at the same pace at, at all. And that's, to me, that's one always been one of the limitations of classroom, whether it's in person or virtual is when you use it as a content delivery mechanism, you're treating everyone as though they have to kind of follow the same pace. And I just know, even from my K-12 days, I mean, no student learns at the same pace. And so you know, the, the pushback I'll get from people is, well, you know, if we send it to them ahead of time, then then they won't go through it. And OK, I, I think there's something that can be said for that. I think there's different ways you can get it out there. And there is a balancing act of, OK, well, where do you where do you find the right level of stuff? But realistically, I think my what I've seen over the years is the way you make virtual classrooms as effective as possible is by making them about connecting with people, collaborating, mm -hmm. you know, solving problems, talking through things, discussing things like that. If you're doing that, that actually makes it easier. Going back to your point earlier, Bob, of making it easier as a facilitator, because your job is no longer to keep everybody engaged on slide 37, bullet point 46. Like, well, of course you're struggling to keep everybody engaged because it's, it's tough. So I think that's, you're spot on in terms of let's, Let's really look at how do we keep people talking? How do we keep people collaborating and connecting and, and doing that kind of stuff in the virtual classroom versus how do we tell them as much information as possible? You mentioned intentionality before, and I think it goes right back to that because one of the, the buzzwords right now uh, is Zoom fatigue. And yep. that to me is a, it's almost a little mind boggling that that's, where we all are right now, because it means we're not being thoughtful about, you know, if we're in back-to-back Zoom meetings, the question is why? Are they all needed to communicate, collaborate with each other, bond with each other, connect with each other, look at each other? Or should we be mixing up the mediums a little bit? You know, at what point is a phone call back in play? Because that's a pretty good way to communicate with each other as well. And so as it relates to design or relates to medium, it's, it goes back to, you know, what you mentioned before, just put some, a little thoughtfulness behind it. And that can go a really long way. Yeah. The, the zoom fatigue one cracks me up though, not cracks yeah. me up like in a ha ha sense, but in like a, Oh, sense in that I do think some of it is, and this has nothing necessarily to do, um, with, with the, uh, it not necessarily has to do with the, uh, oh shoot. Now I totally blanked on that one. The, oh, the intentionality is, is the fact that I think some of it has to do with people really uncomfortable with not being able to see the people they're working with. And so they're, they're just packing meetings to like, hopefully make sure that they're staying on top of things. And I think that is contributing to the zoom fatigue where it's like, Hey, you didn't have people in meetings all day, every day mm -hmm. before. Why do you need to have, 
you know, team meetings and one-on-one meetings with your team all day now, just because you can't see what they're doing. So I do think there is that trust, which has, again, nothing to do with virtual learning necessarily, but I think it's something we need to be mindful of again, with the intentionality, if we're pulling people together, and I think this is true in person or virtual, if we're pulling people together for something and asking for them and their live time and their mind share, we better have a really damn good reason why we're doing it. And we better think about that and think about what do we want on the other end of that? Because people's time is valuable and there are a lot of ways we can get people information or get their input or their feedback in a way that allows them to do it when it's best for them. And anything you do live is, well, this is best for all of us. So you better make sure it's, it's the right stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So how about some other stuff? You know, what other, what other war stories have you seen where you, you thought something, I, I'm just curious on your end, you know, what are, what are some lessons you've learned other than the one? I, I love the lesson of the, of the breakout stuff, but any, or turning everybody's cameras on that to me yeah, that a good one. reminds me of some of the zoom zoom fails I've seen on YouTube recently where, you know, people just didn't realize their camera was on. Have you had any other big ones or even small? Oh man. You have people walk away from the camera okay. sometimes in a virtual classroom. They just kind of like walk off and they'll come back with a cup of coffee or uh, in a in a recent uh, academic setting, somebody came back with a beer. And I was like, wow. it's, it's seven o'clock at night. So yeah. I guess, you know, it's happy hour. It's five o'clock right. somewhere, seven o'clock on the East Coast. I guess I guess that would be mountain time. Um, <laughs> hard to tell. Uh, so I think there's just as we continue to get more comfortable with this uh, and with that, I think we become more intentional with it as well. Then I think there's going to be uh, a greater sense of awareness of, <laughs> I might be wrong with the comfort. There could be a lack of awareness that now it's just so second nature. However, it seems to me that there's a, a lot, a learning curve yeah. that, that we're in right now. Yeah. That's that. And that's what I was going to say that I, I, I find interesting is the, last couple of of weeks or months as we've been doing sessions and working with people in a virtual setting and you have like the grid view up and you're watching these individuals and it's it's more about thinking like what what exactly was going through your mind knowing that your video is on like we had a session recently where there was this and like you know it's i i'm i'm I'm, it's someone who's very clearly texting and it's like your your camera is on and like your boss is in this session too and it it just went on and on and on and on and it's one of those sessions it's one of those things of, of seeing that and realizing that there's still a lot there's a lot for people to learn about yeah. the etiquette. you know being in the, the, in the etiquette. exactly being in the meeting and like knowing that there are are things that have to change i, I think any war story that I have is not necessarily client focused. It's just the day to day of both being a dad and working out of the house and the challenges that that causes that uh, the three of us collectively could probably do an entire session, just sharing jokes and stories about how ridiculous it can be. Yeah. And have been, have been doing this for years, you know, and now we, it, it, it's, it feels like one of those things where you see these stories coming up on Twitter or social media about, working from home with kids and the initial impulse is to be like, yeah, that I had that one five years ago. <laughs> and instead it's, it's more like, how can I, how can I help this person? Yeah. Like what, what can I, you know, what, if they're looking for advice or whatever that might be of being like, yeah, that, that happens. That is, 
that's a fun one. That's a really good one. And here's, you know, here's X, Y, Z of types of things that I've done with that in mind. Well, and going back to the expectation setting, I think that's, that's an important one because the intentionality behind it is really, really important because again, it's not just people's natural to think about, you know, think about, and, and I think to set that expectation, you have to set it with your participants. Think about if I was in a meeting or if I was in a classroom right now, would I do this? Like just, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we need to have a little tagline, you know, would I do this in a meeting type thing that's just like, would you, I mean, and, and some of them, this is where there's the bad side, but then sometimes there's the other side that people don't, they don't take into account where it's like, well, if you really had to go to the bathroom in a meeting, wouldn't you just push your chair back, quietly step up, walk out of the room and then come back when you were done? Yeah, that's what you would do because that's that's etiquette. So you have to tell people it's OK to do that in a virtual meeting, too. You know, people are sitting there, you know, kind of doing the dance like, uh, and you're like, go. It's OK. It's totally OK. But if we don't give people that permission, then then you know it leaves them to kind of make that decision on their own. And even the person texting, it sounds like the person texting doing it, it wasn't just like, oh, I got a message, you know, I need to quick check this and then I'll go back to it. So a little no. bit different. But yeah. again, I've, I've had ones where, you know, I've actually had to tell people in sessions, if an important phone call comes in, put yourself on mute, you know, yeah. turn off your camera if you need to, step away for a minute. Maybe put in the chat, you know, BRB or something to just let me know, need a minute so that I don't accidentally call on you and go into the black hole of, you know, Bob, Bob, <laughs> thing, you know, maybe, right. but again, just have some ground rules around, hey, this is the way we run the session. These are the things that you can do. These are the things that we would encourage you not to do. And then be okay with the fact that somebody's not going to read it. Somebody's not going to pay attention and then just be okay with that. Or yeah, I did at the security settings. I think you know. I think you're. We're hitting a couple of themes here, which is the the vulnerability aspect of of being you know learning this process, the confidence needed to be okay when people are doing things that might not fall in line with what we want, even when we set the expectations properly, mm-hmm. and something that I don't think we've hit. If we have, we not quite as hard as possible. We should empathy understanding that people are grappling with a lot of different stuff including the headspace part of this whole thing and and it comes in waves and there's different challenges at any given time and so if it's not directly in line with where we would behave in a meeting because i love that that setting of like would you do this in a real meeting well there's got to be a point as well that we step back and say like okay maybe in a real meeting if my son fell off of a chair and you needed to run out or my son your son whoever it might be we'd be like okay I, I get it thanks for telling me communicating it it's not this though that you're talking to me and i just go <laughs> <laughs> you know walk off for no reason you know right. it's it's figuring out that balance and in that yeah the empathy and the learning curve all has to be part of the the, the picture yeah right and that's that's the any any best like any of the best practices we have and it's not a panacea. You know, it's not, it's not something there are, there are times and places where this will not work. And there are times when you have to be, you have to be forgiving or you have to just seek forgiveness of being like, I can't have my video on right now because my four-year-old is not wearing clothes and I don't know where my wife is and he's in the room and I'm not going to be on video. Sorry. Or whatever, you know, whatever it might be, or if I have to use the restroom, like go use the restroom. That's fine. So there, there has to be this, um, flexibility that has to exist for yourself and for everyone around you and knowing that 
you can't just read some list and think like, well, no, it has, you have to do it that way. It has to be this way every single time or we're not going to succeed. It's like, that's not what we do in real life. That's not what we do in, in live settings. You know, there's, we have a structure, we have a rules of engagement and there also have to be gray areas where we have to be able to be flexible when needed. Yeah. What's interesting about that, right? We started this session on, Hey, here's all the, here's, we're, we're going to talk about some best practices and honestly ending the session, probably one of the biggest takeaways anybody listening can take is there is no top 10 list of you must always do these things. There's best yeah. practices because yeah, they're best practices. Is it good to have cameras on? Sure. Because you know what? You can actually see and connect with people. Have there been times I've killed everybody's camera because it was just too distracting with the number mm -hmm. of people and people were not necessarily paying attention. Yep. I've done it and said, you know what? This yeah. doesn't make sense right now. We're going to kill cameras so we can really focus on this. We'll bring them back up, you know, for this type of thing, you know, a, a, lots of these things where it's like, well, are there times that you need to deliver content? Sure. Are there times you have no business even having a PowerPoint slide in the virtual session and just have a discussion? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I think that goes back to what's interesting is kind of the specialty you focus on with, with improv and business improv is you have to do this well, you have to be able to adapt and flatten. Mm. And honestly, the way we kicked this meeting off was a perfect example. We go live, two of the live stream things broke. We had to quick cancel it, reset the thing up, join, and then just go with it. And, you know, instead of getting hung up on the, well, it didn't quite work the way we thought, so we're just going to cancel the whole thing and, you know, just, you know, hang our heads. You just go, well, all right, didn't work how we thought. We'll pivot. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, you hit it right on the head. Right now, everybody's got to pivot. Everybody's got to be adaptable. And the the reacting nature of adaptability as we continue to to find our way through this whole thing and then talk, 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 talk to each other, talk, communicate. Yeah. The last one, I think that we can kind of wrap out unless there's any other things you want to really highlight with this is, you know, I've often heard people say, well, there's just some things that can't be done virtually. And I, and I posted about this a few weeks ago and anybody, I, I would challenge anybody who says that, like, send me a message on LinkedIn. We'll, we'll, we'll chat for a bit because my, my whole thing with it is, are there certain activities that can't be done in person or it can't be done virtually? Sure. Right. If you're, if you're having a, you know, whatever, I won't get into examples. Are there certain <laughs> have surgery virtually? Yeah. Right? Like I don't want to have a virtual surgery and now take the scalpel and, and make right? the like, do this to yourself. Like oh, I don't want to do that. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest thing with it is when you look at outcomes and you say, okay, at the end of the day, what are we really trying to achieve with this? So if this was an activity that we did, maybe we can't do that activity the way we did before. But if the ultimate outcome of that activity was to get people to do XYZ or understand XYZ or solve XYZ problem, then let's figure out what are some ways that we can do that in the classroom. Cause I've been, I've worked with lots of teams where before they've just been like, well, we can't do this activity. We just strip it out. And you're like, Whoa, what are you doing? Cause if it was that easy to strip out, why were you doing it in the first place? Um, mm -hmm. but you know, then, then if you think really through the redesign and I'm sure with what you've done with business improv, I have to imagine there were things where you said, well, we can't quite do that activity, but we can achieve this outcome. Would you agree? Absolutely. But the exercises that we do on site 
though we might find some root in the same thing, have to be adapted to fit inside this medium. You know, once again, you have to honor and respect this specific medium. And so um, anybody who says that you can't do something virtually, sure, there are some limitations like surgery. At the same time, it's people are looking too close-minded. You're looking at reasons you can't succeed as opposed to possibility and potential. And frankly, the reasons we have to figure out how to succeed in this environment. And right now, that connection process is not only should it not only be wanted, it's needed. A lot of people need to connect with each other, and we have to figure out how to do it in this capacity. So look for possibility, look for potential, and look for opportunity to adjust it, manipulate it, adapt it, bastardize it, you know, make it work inside this medium so that ultimately it does work inside this medium. Yeah. Yeah. This is our nature as people and humans. We tell ourselves that something can't work. It'll never work. We can't do that. And then someone does it and you're like, oh, okay, we could, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll do that. You know, and that's <laughs> yeah, so, so much of this is, I mean, I think if we were having a, a conversation, we talked about this in the last time we had a conversation. If we, if we were having this conversation like six months ago and talking about how all of corporate America could go digital tomorrow. You know, you it'd be like that is ridiculous. No way could that possibly happen. And it's like, oh, yeah, COVID nineteen's like hold my beer. You know, watch right. this. <laughs> so ultimately, it's it, it, there's so much that if you tell yourself it'll never work and you just stay siloed on that one thing, you are right. You're, you're 100% right. Right. You're 100 percent right. If that's where your focus is, if that's what you want to happen, if that's what you're convinced is going to happen, congratulations. You know. It's a self self fulfilling prophecy. It's going to come through, and instead, you know, if you kind of reframe it and think differently about how could this look or what could this look like, what are we ultimately trying to achieve in this activity that we don't believe can be virtual? There, I guarantee, there are at least a couple of things that you can hit that you yeah. can have that experience. Maybe not completely mimic the live experience. Parts of it, though, parts of the important parts could. Yep. And that's that's where the focus has to be. Like, what can we do? How yeah. can we make this work? Instead of just focusing on we can't do that, we're not going to do it. And like, on to the next thing. You know, if it's that, like to your point, if it's that important, focus on it. Right. Well, and and I think you know that's one thing that's come out of this whole thing is I think for a long time it's been a well we just here's all the reasons we can't do it and there wasn't really an incentive to do it. I mean, in many yeah. regards, even though it was much needed, I think a lot of organizations are now realizing like well, why did we wait so long to do more of this? Like why? I mean, I'm even hearing conversations now where even business being done virtually is starting to change. Where people are going, why, why didn't we start thinking about this? differently before this whole crisis and i think this is this is a unique opportunity for people to kind of start embracing that in this time where right now you don't have a choice sorry yeah. like it, it's not a matter of well we can't well you're gonna have to unless you're just not gonna do anything so well that's awesome. dangerous <laughs> that that is dangerous right that that will come back to bite you so mm -hmm. definitely would not encourage people to <laughs> to take that path all right. Well, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed the conversation again. Hopefully everybody who's who's tuning in has gotten something valuable out of this and uh, definitely send questions, send things like that. We'll add in the comments, the hack sheet that we've put together. Uh, again, just keep in mind, this is these are these are tips that you're going to need to put some critical thought and application behind. And, you know, if you want additional context or stories, don't hesitate to reach out. We've got a lot of experience on this call. Uh, here with people who have been 
been in the trenches and, and taken some, some wounds along the way. So thanks everybody. Thanks for joining again, Bob and Josh and have a great, yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks All for right. having us. Bye-bye.